Hello and welcome to Downs Your Way. I'm Colin Speller and this is episode 10 in which I interview Neil Ablard, our drummer, as part of our Back to the Start series. So here we are at Winter's End in Poole, the Sanford Holiday Park, and I'm taking the very high-risk venture of interviewing Neil Ablard, whilst in the background I have Rebecca, Steve and Nigel. Now, I can trust Nigel and Steve to behave themselves, (laughs) apart from the odd rustling of a sweet packet or slurping of tea. Um, Whether Rebecca can behave herself for the 30 minutes or so we need, uh, is the point we are about to test to the limit, I suspect. <coughs> uh, failed already. Failed already. Anyway, Neil, welcome to the Downs Your Way podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> it's not so much in, by invitation, it's more by <laughs> press ganging, isn't it? Uh, well, there is that, yeah. <laughs> yes, there is I that. I literally couldn't escape at this point. Yeah. So this is the latest in our Back to the Start series, where we talk to members of the band about how it all began for them, where it all began what they've got up to in their musical careers mm. so far, really bringing you up to date to the point where they've joined Rebecca and the band. So, Neil, where's, where did life begin for you? Life, life began at a very young age, as I believe the saying goes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, born, bred Wolverhampton, um, which is the same neck of the woods that Rebecca was, uh, was brought into the world from. Um, usual childhood, played football, kicked around a bit, um, generally made a mess of things, got told off by parents. And uh, when it came to the music side of things, my parents have always been really into music, so it was a kind of household that always had records playing and tape cassettes from back in the day uh, kicking around. We didn't really have much in the way of um, televisual entertainment. Um, I, I, I distinctly recall Channel 5 being a thing and coming into uh, kind of uh, existence. Channel, you were lucky. Five channels, I only had two. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, no, it's, it's, it's a... Fair point, well made. Um, but yeah, so um, television wasn't really the, the kind of all-encompassing entertainment media it was uh, back then. So um, yeah, my parents always had music going, and I suppose I was always kind of listening, even consciously or not, it was always there and thereabouts. So when did you and first start to, if I can use the expression without too much sniggering in the background, <laughs> <laughs> perform or at least play some sort of instrument or indulge in it, music, well, practical music? Um, my, my granddad, that's my mum's dad, um, was a, a kind of church musician, so he played the organ. Oh, okay. um, and so at his house, they always had this, I think it was old plug-in, it wasn't quite a bon tempi thing, but you know the old uh, kind of like household organs right. that they used to have. Uh, and he used to play on that a little bit, and then we used to spend, uh, me and my brother used to spend uh, part of the six-week holiday uh, around uh, their house, because my, my parents were working, so they used to look after us. Um, and he was just sitting there in the corner, and I'd basically go over and just randomly plonk on things, and, and they could see that, obviously, he's got some sort of interest in it. So my granddad actually encouraged me, show me some basic chord patterns and how, how to read music. And this was where I was like, I must have been on you, mate, six, seven, something like that. Yeah. I wasn't very old at all. Um, so that was really where the whole kind of getting into playing or at least attempting to have a go at a musical instrument came about. Um, and from there, when I started doing um, kind of extracurricular activities at junior school levels, um, they'd always say, oh, does anybody want to play a musical instrument like the recorder or something? And I'd always stick my hand up and, and have a go. And it was there, really, that, that it kind of branched out into taking it a little bit more seriously. And uh, my parents bought me, I think it was a recorder, was the third, first instrument that I owned. Um, <clears throat> And luckily, depending on your point of view, of course, luckily I got half proficient at it. Um, and from there, 
this yeah, I must have been. This was at eight, nine years old. Um, there were a selection of us at school that were basically picked out and said, "Okay, so you guys are showing some level of aptitude for music." And so we were kind of siphoned off to one side and said, "Okay, we can teach you how to play a real instrument now." So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the recorder, of course, being an object guaranteed to sort of ruin any. It's pitch terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's an absolutely horrific <laughs> instrument. It really is. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I took great delight in it at the time, but yeah, looking back, it, it's, it's just a horrible, horrible noise. But then um, I got selected, selected, uh, to try my hand at the uh, the oboe. So that was my first oh, okay. actual proper instrument. I'm actually a classical oboeist. Excellent. Uh, off the bat. And so that's kind of where the music thing started. And from there, it, it obviously gradually expanded and took on the uh, all-encompassing noise fest that it is today. I suppose you're going to ask how how you ended up at drums from oboe. <laughs> well, it's made of wood, and I suppose sooner or later frustration will cause you to start hitting things with it. But we're, we're, <laughs> so so great, yes, but so yeah, that, that is the next obvious question. So how did yeah. you get into how and when did you get into drums? Um, basically, I'd always kind of play at being in a band. This is one of the things that me and my brother and a couple of our mates used to do. So literally, the old tennis rack is turned upside down and. and uh, drumming the way on the banjo. Um, at the same time, I'd turn the dining room chairs the other way around and start banging on them with knitting needles. So I just gravitated towards the drums. Um, and that's, that's basically how that started. It literally from kind of like playing along make-believe, playing games with your mates sort of mm. things. Um, I was never interested in kind of rock oboe. It didn't seem to come up too much. <laughs> so the, the so, Roxy music approach <laughs> wasn't for no, you. I, I had no idea who Brian Eno was at the time, <laughs> as we said. So, um, yeah, I basically just started playing along uh, imaginary stuff with, uh, with drums. But when I moved up to, to senior school, um, music lessons branched out and you could do percussion as one of the options. Oh. So basically I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd always been kind of like obsessed with looking at the drummer, watching drummers. Um, when you saw bands playing TV and Top of the Pops and stuff like that, it was always the drummer that really caught my attention. And mainly because I think the instrument was obviously the biggest, loudest, most obnoxious, so immediately I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do, that, that one there. Um, so yeah, I basically started taking lessons um, when I got to senior school, just percussion, this was like tune, percussion, mallet mm. percussion, all that mm. kind of thing, mm. but they didn't kind of like, that. Oh, you can't play drum kit, no, that's, no. That's, that's not a real instrument, you've got to learn how to do xylophone and stuff like that, oh, right. which to be honest was, was a good grounding, yeah. it's still percussion and obviously stick techniques and all that sort of stuff. Um, but from there, it was only a very, very easy sidestep to get <laughs> a, an actual drum kit. A very short and slippery slope. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So that, that's when that kind of kicked off, really. Uh, got my hands on a, a drum kit that my parents got me, uh, which was like a, an old knackered second-hand thing. Mm. Um, literally a, a battered, really, really terrible drum kit. But I think it, on their defence, it was one of these things where I like, don't want to spend hundreds of pounds on something that he might not take to no well that's fair so enough. I got like I think it must be like a 60 quid drum kit <laughs> which I uh, it sounded like it yeah it sounded like a 60 pound drum kit played by a guy that couldn't play so quite how they put it with it I have no idea um, but yeah so I uh, I got a, a, a it was a toy drum kit but it was a, a beginner's drum kit and um, that was it really I'd spend absolutely ages just playing tinkering smashing banging walloping Oh, excellent. Sorry, I should just explain in, t- in the list of noises off, which we always have to sort of apologise for. Th- this week's noises off is a heater. We are in a. We're what, using what? the word heater in the loosest sense we of the are, word. Yeah, it's yeah. Lukewarmer. It's, yeah. it's translated. At the moment, it seems to be translating electricity into noise, but there is also a, a very interesting <laughs> flame effect on the front. We are in what is 
best described, I suppose, as a cabin. It's yeah, shack, very shack-like. Yes, and and in the holiday park, and of course, I think it's designed for summer use rather than winter use. So, it's it's a bit cold. Yeah, insulation wasn't top of the build priority, was it? No, I don't think so. So you're being taught on the drums. When did you start getting involved with bands, apart from the one in the living room, the, the make-believe <laughs> one? Yeah, the one with my mates. Um, pretty much straight away, um, basically, this was sort of like early teenage years by this stage. Um, so I, I, I always note that I, I technically think I started playing when I was about 13. Um, but by that stage, there were other mates who were around who um, played guitar and had basses. Um, Everybody was like forming bands left, right, and centre. So essentially, if you owned a pair of drumsticks, it was like, ah, Neil, yeah, you play drums, don't you? It's like, yeah, well, you're in the band now. So basically, from the off, it was. It's, it's, it's being a drummer a bit like being a goalkeeper at football, you know, that you can sort of get called in <laughs> <laughs> it's, to several places at, almost at once because nobody else wants to do it. It's, it's yeah, no, you say that as, as a joke, but it's actually true. And I found that more as I've carried on. It's yeah. like as you, as you move further up the so-called professional ladder, um, the ratio of drummers to guitarists and singers is, yeah, very much in my favour. Yeah, It okay. has to be said. So, yeah, there's, for every one or two good drummers, there's at least 14 good bands that you know, <laughs> would definitely have your services if they could. And that was the case even then, really. It, I mean, if you actually got to the stage where you owned a drum kit as well as had a pair of sticks and could play one, he's like, at that point, that's it, you're in. Yeah, I played goal in football. I don't ever remember owning my own goal, though. So <laughs> Yeah, true. No, that's true. I suppose the goals are provided wherever you turned up to play, though. Yeah, Unlike jumper, jump jumpers for goalposts, that's that sort it, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us about your early band experiences, then. When I talked to Rebecca, she talked about you know gigging in pubs and all the joy of that. And, yeah. uh, Steve and Nigel had similar stories. So, so what are your early day stories? Yeah, all the same. It's whatever they've said, then the same for me it's that you'd play wherever you could essentially obviously when you're a young band um, you don't have regular gigs it's it's kind of like the one that's set up every four months mm. that kind of a youth, in my case it was a youth club or like a, a youth organisation that used to set up um, I think there were like quarterly gigs um, but the problem was there was, there was like 47 bands uh, each time and everybody would be buying for a slot sort of thing So and they, they shared them out quite fairly at the time but that meant you could literally be waiting two years for another slot <laughs> Um, so it was very few and far between, which meant you'd have to kind of get whatever you could whenever you could, which meant playing like, afternoon pub slots, uh, a place when they were putting on their mini little festivals where it would be 10, 15 bands, and you'd show up with kind of your gear and all the other bands would have their gear, and it'd be a case of, well, almost like it is now, really, you're fighting each other to get a bit of elbow space to sit up on a very tiny stage with a substandard PA. Um, so all those things that happened, but it's character building, you know, it's... Well, having been told off by a doyen of the Birmingham music scene for using the word genre, I shall <laughs> avoid using that and say, what type of music did you play in those days? Um, back then, it would be... Um, it was still a mixture, depending on what band, because I did tend to... It's not so much float from band to band, I ended up being in several bands mm. uh, all at once, and one was definitely kind of like a, an indie, mm. uh, kind of the indie jangly guitar, mm. uh, pop rock kind of band. Um, then the other stuff was much more heavy. I was heavy rock and borderline metal when I was, you know, that kind of age. It was uh, all heavy, fast, loud playing and 
guitars that have been detuned to, to whatever fact <laughs> guitars that have been detuned to kind of like C or something like that and nobody knew anything about things like gauges for your, your strings so they were doing them on nine gauge strings and the strings were just flopping off the fretboard all that kind of stuff <laughs> so you couldn't keep your guitars in tune you get halfway through a song and uh, chaos would ensue because it was literally noise coming off the stage same with the drums really it's like everything was based on double bass uh, fastable bass playing and mm. I didn't have a double bass so I just had one so it's like my, what single foot was going ten to the dozen trying to keep up with these kind of like galloping guitar parts and just yeah yeah it was a bit of a mess but it, it's a good learning ground you know it's um, it's a good proving ground and how did it progress for you I mean what sort of how did it settle down in terms of the bands you played for? Um, it it kind of never did, really. Um, we're in that sort of time period, really. Every band only lasted for six months to a year tops. And then it, it was the same, it was, well, like anything, I suppose, the same scene. So it's the same group of musicians mm. collectively, but they kind of re-collaborate uh, yeah. into different sections yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that and so you'd have this endless revolving door yeah. of essentially the same pool of musicians just forming different bands so one period you'd be in a kind of like an indie jangly pop band and the next would be hard rock and then somebody would try something else mm. you know so, so in terms of style they never settled down really so when did you first cross paths with Miss Downs I'm um, Funnily enough, I've actually been trying to remember this, and I'm sure she'll be able to, to verify one way or the other. It'll be interesting to see what she thinks in terms of whether I'm accurate here, but I seem to recall I, at the time, was in a uh, sort of progressive rock band, um, and we ended up losing a guitar player who got replaced with somebody else we knew, um, and I think that guitarist was a guy called Adam Dunn, um, and he knew Rebecca, Oh. Um, which I think was school. She'll show it to me if I'm wrong. Did he know me from school? Yeah, he knew you from school. Um, Rebecca's nodding in the background, I should say, <laughs> which is a, is a good effect on <laughs> sound yeah, recording. It doesn't quite work as well with that video, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, Adam knew Rebecca, and uh, the, well, I use the term singer loosely. We had a vocalist, should we say, uh, with us at the time, mm. uh, who kind of realised his limitations and was like, I, I, I can't do this anymore, you need to get somebody to actually sing. At which point Adam said, oh, I know somebody, and uh, she's pretty good. At which point the rest of the people in the band were like, oh, she? Did you say, is she female? Because that was a novelty mm. uh, at that point. Mm. Um, there weren't many female singers. Still is. <laughs> Still is, yeah. Um, so she came down to a, a rehearsal in um, a place in the New Hampton Centre. Well, what's now the New Hampton Centre. Right. Uh, but at the time was uh, part of this, this youth organisation. I, I mean, it's been done up really nicely there, but mm. when we were going there, it was literally a kind of bombsite. Um, they had one little room in the back corner, which was kind of really damp, yucky, and they'd got a small little PA and a bass amp in there, and basically all of the bands used to be able to get, book a slot uh, and rehearse there, and um, she got dragged down to one of those rehearsals one of the days. I think it was a Sunday afternoon, because that used to be our slot. Um, and did Four Non Blondes' What's Up, that song, at which point we were kind of like, three bars in and we're like yeah okay she can sing fair enough <laughs> you're in we'll have it so that's basically where I, uh, I ended up crossing paths with Rebecca for the first time and she was then in the band there's, there's tapes that exist of that I've still got a tape of that particular band I want to hear the oh she said <laughs> that yes I, I've got that somewhere it was, uh, it was that thing we recorded in Birmingham I think. oh god 
this, yeah. this will increase the clamour that we've already got from fans to dig out some of the old material. But uh, yeah, it's, well, it's not necessarily what you call back catalogue. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a separate kind of you know, little entity that we did a while back. But um, yeah, I, I found that the other the other month when I was clearing through some of my stuff, and I was like, "Ooh, hello." So yes, it's a uh, <laughs> could well appear on the black market at some point. <laughs> yes, yes, we've quite a bit of stuff like that. We go <laughs> on the black market at some point. So, and one of the, the the stories from back in those days was that which Rebecca told me when she first mentioned you was that he said, "Oh, he's, he's got a studio in his parents' garden that I helped build." That now, the first part I could sort of embrace very easily. <laughs> the second part, I, I confess I struggled with. The notion of Rebecca in her Bob the Builder dungarees and yellow hat on, you know, sh- shoveling cement or whatever. But t- tell us what happened. <laughs> tell us the backstory there. Well, the, the backstory to that is that um, obviously rehearsal rooms come at a price. Um, and I'd spent ages going to and from rehearsal rooms. And there was a new place, I've forgotten, genuinely forgotten what the place was called, but there was, an, at, at the time, a new place in Wolverhampton that sprung up. And um, I can't even remember which band it was. That was. I don't think it was the one that I was with Rebecca with. But there's another band that rehearsed at this place, and it was new, we'll rehearse there, no problem. Um, and it was the most miserable experience I've ever had in the rehearsal room. Um, at the time, it was always a flat rate of £10 an hour, wherever mm. you went. These guys straight away charge £12 now. And obviously when you're broke, got no money and you're a, a teenager sort of thing, it's like, well, that, that, that's a massive hike. Mm. But nevertheless, okay, it's new, it's clean, it smells nice, fair enough. Uh, went into the room. Um, obviously, the rules are normally you take your breakable, so snare drum, cymbals, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, went into there. I'd got all that with me. Um, and it's like, oh, okay, so there were literally only the shells of the drum kits, so bass drum, toms, and that was it. Okay, where are the stands? Oh, yeah, you have to hire those. Like, pardon? Yeah, you've got to hire those. It was like £2 a stand for your session. Like, right, okay. Uh, I noticed there's not a seat as well. Yeah, you have to hire that as well. So basically, they provided you with a bass drum and a couple of toms, and that was it, and everything else you had to hire in. Obviously, they don't tell you that uh, beforehand, so I'd gone expecting the normal setup uh, and got stung for an increased rate on the, the hourly hire and having to hire all these bits as well. Needless to say, that left a really bad taste in my mouth. Oh, and to cap it off, I also got a parking ticket on that day. Ah. Um, because they, they, I'd parked around the corner. Um, and in the meantime, uh, traffic wardens had come along and actually put the bags. So it was the old parking meters where you had to put oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the 50p yeah. in. And I'd parked legit. It was fine. I'd actually put my money yeah. in and everything. But in the meantime, wardens had come along and put the bags over the top and ticketed my car. Oh. It, yeah, exactly. So um, that, that I was fuming at the end of that day. Um, so went home in a massive huff I'm still living obviously at my parents house at that point um, and the space we've got in the back garden of my parents house is, is considerable they live on the corner so normally you'd have a garden which mm. would go straight behind mm. the house this is on, on an angle so mm. basically it, it, it at least doubles the size mm. of the garden if not a bit more so I was like oh, well there's, there's room to build there um, and at the time, obviously, I had no concept of exactly what this would cost. It's just that this was a good idea. And it, as it happens, my dad is in building. So mm. um, he thought, oh, okay, whatever. It'll get you out of the bedroom. Because mm. at this point, I've been practicing in my bedroom sort of for an hour a night, every night for the preceding however long. <laughs> uh, well so popular, I think they were quite yeah. keen on perhaps uh, <laughs> yeah. relocating me to the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we, it was decided, okay, we'll, we'll build like a rehearsal shed and uh, we, can, we can pack it out, make it soundproof. 
Uh, and obviously, originally, it was going to be something for just the drums, so the drums could go in there. But then it was, okay, the illusions of grandeur said, maybe if we made it a little bit bigger, we could get a band in. Or if we made it bigger than that, maybe we could get, like, Dad had a little workshop mm. that he wanted to add on mm. at the end of it. It's like, okay, maybe we can do all that. So it ended up being this, this massive construction. Um, which obviously to keep costs down, a lot of it would end up being built ourselves, mm. uh, at which point it was a case of roping everybody you know. Um, so a couple of my museum mates came down and Rebecca also definitely came in and was there several weekends, digging, chopping, clearing out all the dirt, filling wheelbarrows and all sorts. It was, yeah, it was a group effort. Some of which possibly even relevant to the construction project. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. Well, we keep saying that essentially for everybody that helped, it hasn't fallen down yet, so no. something was done correctly somewhere along the lines. Um, but yeah, so she, she did get involved, and um, and then obviously we all benefited because since then, um, I think I must have been in about two different rehearsal rooms since, and that was only from like, other mm, people that have said mm. something specifically. Any of the projects I deal with, it's like come to my place, it's free, there's parking, there's power, it's easy. You know, so it's it's definitely paid itself um, back in the years that it's been there. It's a bit of a godsend, really. At the time, it just seemed like, oh, this seems like a good idea, we should do it. And it's only now, when you look back, you realise, wow, what a well, resource. Really, yeah, that's a good idea. At the time, I had no idea, but yeah. now it's been, it's been an absolute blessing. Good, so let, let's wind forward to the current association between the two of you. So you've come on board recently uh, on the back of Lloyd's departure. Uh, what do you make of the... RD music and the RD setup, and you can. It's all right. She, she's no pressure. She They're doesn't listen to the pod, me, yeah. She doesn't listen to the podcast, so you can say she doesn't you. need to listen to it. She can hear it live <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, without trying to sound like I'm being sycophantic. It's it's refreshingly be sycophantic. Be, be sycophantic. Um, it's refreshingly, refreshingly well done. Um, aside from the fact that the music is obviously of a, of a high standard anyway, which almost goes without saying mm. when you look at the people involved mm. and and the kind of proficiency they all have. The songwriting is brilliant, the performances are great, the, the musicianship is, is top-notch. Um, but more than that, for me, it's, it's the organisation aspect. Um, when I very first uh, went around Steve's house to have just a brief meeting and a chat, um, it was almost this kind of like apology that, oh, we've got this kind of like spreadsheet with notes, and I'm really sorry, but it's like, no, this is perfect. It's the kind of thing I really love is detail mm. that's worked out, and you know where you've got to be, when you've got to be, what the plan is, short term goals, long term mm. goals. It's, it's done properly, you know. That's what happens if you take some boring old fart who used to run a business <laughs> and get him to transfer some of his skills to this particular industry where, uh, they're, yeah, they're, it, it's they're not very lacking, common. Yeah, it's it's not, it's, well, it's, it's not a common practice, I grant you, but no. from my point of view, I think when you're doing something like this, which is essentially very entrepreneurial, mm. um, when you get people coming on board, and after all, they're not doing it for the... Um, glittering prizes or the no. massive riches, you've got to try to set out to them, I think, what you what it's about, mm. you know, and how it works, yeah. because there's a lot of assumptions in the game and a, and a lot of potential for misunderstanding, shall we say, oh, if, yeah, yeah. You know, between people. Now, th the other thing is, and I'm, I'm looking ahead here a little bit, because not long after this goes out, hopefully, uh, if we can get the ducks in a row, another piece of uh, content will be hitting the airwaves and the streets, as it were, in which you've had a, a very significant hand as a, a video videographer, a, a filmmaker, um, what I personally believe to be quite a superb 
music video. You're um, great taste, that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you get into that game, as it were? Because I, I should also, sorry to cut across you, but I should also add for the for the benefit of our listener, um, Neil comes with a, a, a battery of camera equipment <laughs> along with his drums and his sticks. Uh, goodness knows how many GoPros, a, a top quality. Uh, uh, 35mm SLR or whatever you call them these days, digital yeah. SLR and um, yeah, the, the, the background the software and the eye for uh, c- the creation <laughs> using that particular medium, so where, where, how did you get into that? And that, that was almost kind of forced to do it because it, it, it came out of a, from the music side of stuff where playing in bands, it's all, you need content with the, the explosion mm, of internet mm, based mm, stuff you yeah. need content, you need mm. video, you need uh, web presence, you need stuff that's going to engage when you as a band can't be there um, and essentially nobody else in any of the bands that I've ever been in has showed any sort of interest or not necessarily gumption that's not the right way of putting it but basically they've they, oh, I want to play the guitar I'll play the bass and that's mm-hmm. what I do um, and I've always been well somebody needs to do this because it needs to be done so I've sort of put myself in that position um, I always had a bit of an interest in photography. Um, I wouldn't ever say I was kind of you know anything less than mildly proficient. Mm. Um, but it's not too far a jump from photography to, to videography, really. Mm. Um, I am literally just a, a, an amateur, kind of a, a keen enthusiast from that point of view. I wouldn't say I've got any level of proficiency in the way that I'd say, yeah, I could play drums. I, think. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a video filmmaker. Um, well, but, if you're, we're, we're probably about to test that <laughs> well, yes, piece of, particular piece of modesty. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm bound to say it's hugely valuable to us because, mm. um, you know, you can spend a lot of time and money d- doing these things and uh, it, it's a moot point sometimes whether that investment is worthwhile if you can deliver good content off your own back. That's absolute, absolutely ideal. Just, I'm sort of looking at the time really, just one final point, because, I mean, you don't do this full time. You also, you know, have and run a business. Just say a little bit about that. Well, running the business? Yeah. What, well, what is your business? Uh, what business, do you do? it's called Solo Signs. We make, manufacture uh, and install signage of all times for buildings, for businesses, individuals, vehicle graphics, uh, advertising, wraps for vehicles, all that kind of thing. This is a plug. It's turned into a plug. Well, that's it's, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that, that, funnily enough, that came about also through circumstance rather than any kind of mm, career decision mm. thinking, I know what I want to be. I want to get into the sign industry. <laughs> um, my brother started doing it um, when he came out of university. He was kicking around looking for a job because mm. um, he came out of a university with an immunology degree. All right, yeah. So as you do, it's like, oh, I'll go and work in the sign industry then because basically that's all he could get at the time. Yeah, but his day may have arrived. <laughs> well, as it happens, yes. <laughs> if only he'd yeah, kept up to speed exactly yeah. for kind of uh, outbreaks. But nevertheless, um, he uh, got a job um, working with one of his uh, friends because he plays hockey it's his sport mm. of choice and one of his hockey friends had got this business uh, doing signage and uh, he started doing that and then over the course of a couple of years his mate dropped out and uh, Daryl basically inherited the business mm. um, and because I was busy in bands at the time um, I'd kind of never had a, a proper career or anything which I could mm. actually see I'd, I'd worked briefly in like a number of jobs I'd worked for the health service I'd worked uh, uh, bits and bobs in, in car garages and, and stuff like that um, but I never wanted to commit to anything because I always wanted to be free to play mm. in bands um, but I really needed a job at that point I was kind of between gigs and so uh, my brother said well we're thinking of, of moving 
uh, what we do uh, and rebranding uh, his business and basically starting it afresh because this was after the last financial mm. crash sales yeah. had dipped so it was kind of like re reorganize it and start it should we should we do that and so I basically ended up becoming a kind of co-director with him in that uh, instance and from there that's where the kind of finance for this comes from and <laughs> then I can manipulate the free time to, to, to do the arty creative stuff well excellent and uh, we're, we're very grateful for that and for, if you want a uh, an obvious example of Neil's handiwork in his uh, daytime job, as it were, just take a look at the uh, cover on his bass drum. That's true, yes, I did the bass drum head, yeah. Yes, which yes, is, it definitely has perks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, well, that, that's been really great. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. No, thanks um, for having I, me. I, I want, uh, we will get that out. And uh, thank you to those in the background for... Contributions uh, from behind uh, you. Yeah, yeah they've, they've been... <laughs> They're rather somnolent. They've done their they've done their set, and they're sort of they've eaten a, a what what is known up north as a big tea, <laughs> <laughs> and they're now sleeping both of those off on respective That's sofas. Um, Neil, thank you very much indeed, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again on this sometime in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Downs Your Way. As usual, we have a merchandise discount code, and this episode's code is NEIL, all in capitals, N-E-I-L. If you put that in at the appropriate point in the checkout process in the shop at rebeccadowns.com, you will receive a 10% discount on all items purchased. Once again, thank you for listening. There'll be another episode in a couple of weeks' time.